My name is Caroline Koch. I'm sitting down today with Adam Scaife. He's working at the Met Office and also at the University of Exeter. And he is the lead author of the recent climate briefing paper, Does Variation in the Sun's Output Affect Climate? So Adam, thanks so much for joining me. And can you please introduce you. yourself and what your research is focused on? Sure. I'm Adam Scaife. I head up the long-range forecasting section of the Met Office. And I also work part-time as a professor in the College of Engineering, Maths and Physical Science at Exeter University. So what's your research focused on? For about 20-25 uh, years now I've worked on a variety of topics but all with a common theme which is the year-to-year -year variations in climate, particularly regional climate in Europe. And over the last 10 years or so I've specialised in the predictability of climate, things like uh, seasonal forecasting for example. Hmm. And today we're going to talk about the sun and what influence mm -hmm. the sun has on climate. So maybe for, for somebody who's not familiar with the topic, how does the sun influence our climate on, on Earth? This is a very old topic. It goes back hundreds of years to early suggestions when people saw that sunspots uh, appeared and disappeared uh, from one year to the next or, or monthly cycles as the sun rotates. They observed these phenomena and tried to correlate them with the weather. Now, of course, that is often just uh, coincidental relationships, and so uh, over many years, many of these things were suggested, and this, this whole area is a little bit murky and has, has, sometimes has a very controversial uh, angle to it, especially when people have related it to climate change, as I guess we'll talk about a bit later on. But there are now, I think, some pretty clear lines of evidence that fluctuations in the solar output do influence climate. Uh, these are quite subtle. Obviously, when you look at the sun, it's impossible to see with the naked eye that the sun's output is varying. But the sunspots vary on an 11-year cycle, and there are longer-term changes in the sun's output. And a combination of observations, uh, particularly, for example, from latest observations from satellite measurements, actually observing the output from the sun uh, without the filtering effect of the atmosphere, because these observations are obviously taken from space. Uh, that set of observations and latest climate modelling results suggest that there really are uh, subtle but potentially important effects on the Earth's climate and we can talk about the mechanisms for those if you like. Yeah, but before we do, what, what exactly are sunspots? So, I'm not a solar physicist. I look at the impact of solar variability uh, on the Earth's climate. But sunspots are important because these localised magnetic storms in the sun's atmosphere actually change the radiation leaving the sun and therefore impinging on the Earth's atmosphere. They occur in groups and they go through a cycle of about 11 years in their numbers. So they peak and trough with a cycle of a period of about 11 years. That's been going on for hundreds of years. We have a very long record of these things. And sunspots are obviously dark. You can see them with a naked eye or with a filter. Obviously, always be careful looking at the sun, but you can see them quite, quite easily. And so you might think that when there are lots of sunspots in the 11-year cycle, that the amount of radiation from the sun is less, because, of course, there are these black spots on, on the bright surface of the sun. But in fact, there are neighbouring regions, brighter regions called faculae, that are actually emitting more than the sunspots and more than normal, and that effect outweighs the effect of the number of sunspots and so actually integrated over the whole lot we have more radiation from the sun 
when the sunspot cycle is active. Now this is quite a small effect, maybe uh, one-tenth of a percent of the total output from the sun. So percentage-wise, it's very tiny in terms of the total energy coming from the sun. But what's interesting to us, and to me in particular, is that when you look in the short wavelength end of the solar spectrum, down where the UV is, the, the radiation that gives us suntan in the summer, that particular wavelength, then the variations are much bigger. And they can be several percent, even up to 10% in some cases. And that's a much bigger number that is interesting to climate modelers. If I understand it correctly, that's the short wave radiation that reaches the sun and then is transformed into heat energy and so, heating. So the reason that's important is because the UV, although we, we do get suntan, of course, from the UV that filters through the atmosphere, the vast majority of the UV is filtered high in the atmosphere by the ozone layer. The ozone is very efficient at absorbing UV photons or UV light. And when it does that, as you say, it has to be converted into heat. The energy has to go somewhere due to conservation of energy. And so the, the upper atmosphere, maybe 50 kilometers above the surface, and particularly in the tropics where the irradiance is high, then you have um, a heating effect, a change in local temperatures. Of course, this is still way above the surface, but that can warm uh, over the period of the solar cycle by at least one degree, maybe one to two degrees, but more than a degree. In, uh, in many estimates of how, how big that effect is. And again, that might seem remote. It might seem irrelevant to surface climate, given that it's 50 kilometers up. However, what's really interesting, and I think where we've really made important strides forward over the last couple of decades, is that by looking at our best estimate of observations and also using that in tandem with computer modeling experiments, we can show a chain of events from that warming in the upper tropical stratosphere through to a strengthening of the zonal winds, the winds flowing around the Arctic at high altitude, and a descent of that strengthening of the winds right down to the jet stream in the troposphere and a strengthening of the jet stream when the activity from the sun is strong, and then an impact on the surface weather, including, for example, an increase in the strength of the westerlies at the surface impinging on Western Europe. And so you end up in the end from this subtle change in, at the stratopause with, a, uh, on average, a slightly milder winter when the sun is active. And conversely, when the sunspot cycle is at its minimum, then at that time, or perhaps a year or two, or a year or two afterwards as well, due to delayed effects in the ocean, you end up cooler conditions over Northern Europe on average. Of course, all of these effects are quite subtle, as we're saying. So you need a lot of historical data to see them, a lot of computer simulations to see them. And of course, you need a good model. And how does this cycle vary, or the, the output of the sun? Is it, you mentioned it's an 11 year cycle. Mm -hmm. So how does this, it's going from low activity to high activity, or how can I imagine this cycle? So ju just, just like the cycle of the seasons, going through the annual cycle over the 12 months, if you imagine each of those months was a year, then you can roughly approximate, you can imagine that that would be the cycle of the sunspots and the uh, radiation hitting the top of the atmosphere and these effects on surface climate. So where would you say, where are we at now? Where are we now? Good question. Uh, we are close to solar minimum, in fact. So yeah, about this year is about the minimum in the cycle. And the last minimum was 10 or 11 years ago, about 2009, 10, around that time. And at that time, in agreement with these experiments and the analyses that have been done, there were indeed uh, one or two very cold winters in northern Europe at that time. So how is the sun's variability measured? There are 
a raft of measurements, I would say, that tell us about variations in the sun's output. The most sophisticated set we have, I guess, is the recent satellite instruments, which try and measure the total output from the sun, which they can do pretty well. They also now attempt to measure the spectral irradiance, as we call it. This is the variation of the energy at different wavelengths coming from the sun. That's a much harder measurement to make, particularly at the all-important UV range. But we have some decades of measurements from different instruments, and they can be pieced together to give us some estimate. There are longer records. The satellite's only a few decades old, but there are longer records uh, from radio fluxes. Uh, those go back uh, to the mid-20th century. And there are longer records still from people measuring small fluctuations in the Earth's magnetism, which are caused by variations in solar output. And those go back at least a century, maybe a bit more than that. And then on the very long time scales, we can even go back millennia by looking at isotopes and radioisotopes uh, in things like ice cores. And those can be interpreted in terms of solar activity because solar activity can influence the Earth's magnetic field and therefore the uh, irradiance from, of cosmic rays and the generation of these isotopes and therefore their record in the, uh, in the Earth's sediments, and in this case, uh, uh, ice cores. So those go back thousands of years. Um, of course, all of these things get more uncertain as you go back, and so people, scientists argue constantly about the validity of these and what is actually causing the fluctuations. But there is some agreement over those, those timescales. You know, we're very confident, for example, of the 11-year cycle now. And there are certainly longer-term variations, but those are, are still the subject of research. Yeah, and how, how does these variations influence global climate? That's a good question. Uh, again, this is a controversial area. Uh, people who argue against anthropogenic climate change often latch on to solar effects and argue that things are just due to this single effect of the sun. Um, that doesn't look to be the case if you take all of the evidence into account. Um, but nevertheless, there are some small fluctuations in global temperature, for example, over the 11-year cycle. Uh, we now have about uh, 10 or so cycles in the, in the instrumental record, and by instrumental record I mean uh, the, the amount of time people have been going out with thermometers measuring the, su the surface temperature. So having 10 cycles, we can look at the peaks and troughs in the temperature as well as the solar cycle and put those together. It looks like maybe as much as 0.1 of a degree fluctuation from solar cy uh, cycle maximum to solar cycle minimum in the Earth's temperature. So every 11 years there's maybe up to a tenth of a degree fluctuation. That, of course, we have to remember, is very small compared to the total accrued climate change that we have so far, which is at least a degree now. Yeah. So ten times bigger, to put it into perspective. Yeah. Uh, we can also look on top longer timescales as well. If we go back to the late 1600s, there's a very famous period called the Maunder Minimum, where there were almost no sunspots observed. And at that time, there was also uh, at least regional, if not widespread, cooling. Um, people argue about how much that was. It may be related to solar variability, but that, again, is a little bit more uncertain because there were also volcanic influences at that time. So, again, that's a topic of research. So that's ongoing, obviously. And, mm -hmm. and you mentioned that in the tropics, um, because temperatures are much higher because of the the angle the sun hits the tropics. Mm -hmm. So are, are there any regional differences in, in the effects solar variability has? 
And there have been suggestions that uh, solar variability might interact with the El Nino cycle, but I think those are, again, still a research topic that's not, not fully accepted. I think what has a little more weight is this influence on the extratropical jet stream in winter. Uh, some computer models and some observations now agree about that. So when you start to get that agreement, it adds weight, of course. Uh, and that means that there are particular regional impacts if that mechanism is correct. It means that um, the northern European region and also the eastern part of North America, the eastern part of America, USA rather, uh, those regions will be uh, milder at solar max and cooler at solar min. And then if you look uh, further uh, to the north, uh, northeast part of North America, uh, Labrador Sea area, that kind of area, and, and eastern Canada, and that, that kind of varies in antiphase. So when the solar cycle is at a maximum, it's actually cool there. And similarly over southern Europe, that varies in concert with that. So there's a kind of four-centred pattern around the Atlantic Basin, which is due to changes in the Atlantic jet stream that appear to coincide with uh, variations in the solar cycle. That's really interesting. <laughs> mm, it's a fascinating topic, even though these variations are very small. They could be important, for example, for making predictions out to a few years or a decade ahead because of the time scale of the solar cycle itself. And how would you, like coming back to the topic of climate change, and obviously people who are skeptical about human-induced climate change might bring up this is all due mm -hmm. to the sun. And you mentioned, like in comparison to the human-induced climate change, it's only how much percent? One? So I think uh, if you look at the 11-year cycle, yeah. then we think maybe up to uh, 0.1 of a degree over the 11-year cycle. Uh, we currently have about a degree of human-induced climate change in the Earth's temperature, so that puts it into perspective. But of course there are these longer-term variations in the solar output that aren't very well understood. Nevertheless, we estimate that even if we were to go into a new Maunder minimum in the coming century, as some people are suggesting might be the case, then the latest computer modelling with the latest and best evidence suggests that that will be completely swamped by anthropogenic warming due to greenhouse gases. Yeah, that's quite clear. Yeah, thank you so much. And for everybody who's interested in this topic, please read the briefing paper on our webpage. Thanks very much.